Hey, everybody, welcome to the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. For the next six weeks or so, The Big Ticket is coming to you twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today's first guest is Gugu Mbatha Ra. We're talking about her emotional performance in the morning show opposite Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, plus her upcoming debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Disney Plus's Loki. Then later, Jane Levy. We chat about her breakout role in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist which musicians she'd love to cover next on the show, and what may be planned for season two. So stick around. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Gugu Mbatha Raw's work as Hannah in Apple TV Plus's The Morning Show is attracting all sorts of awards buzz. If you've seen the full season, you know Hannah's life takes a tragic turn, but not before Mimbatha Ra delivers a jaw-dropping performance as the victim of a Me Too experience with her boss, played by Steve Carell. I spoke to Mimbatha Ra from her home in Los Angeles shortly after the city was put on lockdown in the wake of the pandemic. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. How's life treating you in this craziness? Oh my God, it is mad, isn't it? I don't know. It's a bit of a roller coaster, I find. Yeah. I'm generally great, but then, you know, some days I'm like fine. And then other days I'm like, oh God, emotional wreck. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then another day I'm like, <laughs> come on, pull your socks up. But it's like, it's up and down. But, um, but generally I'm, I'm, I'm healthy and my family's healthy and, you know, can't complain. What have you been doing to sort of occupy your time? Ah, well, good question. Um, What have I been doing? You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I'm in LA and um, I have been doing sort of, you know, trying to sort of, you know, stay active and, um, you know, yoga and walking and hikes and whatever. But I actually have rediscovered um, something I used to love when I was a teenager, which was painting. Um, so I've actually sort of, I dusted out around week two or three, dusted out some art materials that I've had sort of, you know, in a box in the corner somewhere uh, for a long time. And, and I've been, I've been painting a lot, which has been really, really nice. And um, I don't know, it's, it sort of feels like a nice artistic outlet um, that, you know, I didn't have time for when I was sort of, you know, busy seeing other people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of what kind of painter are you? What are you painting? Is it abstract, literal? What is it? Uh, I'm doing portraits, a lot <gasps> of portraits um, of sort of friends and family. So it started sort of just when I was just scrolling through photos of friends on my phone, and and so I, I literally I'm doing it from photographs in acrylics um, of smiling faces that's the only rule they have to be smiling I just you know I don't have the bandwidth to, to stare at a miserable face for a few hours so. <laughs> so, as long as they're smiling faces and people that I haven't been able to see or you know people that I haven't been able to um you know connect with that are far away it sort of makes me feel like I'm I know it sounds cheesy, but it sort of makes me feel like I'm spending time with them somehow in a weird way right. because I'm really, really looking at them and really, really looking at them in a in a different way to how you do when you interact with somebody. So, um, yeah, it's been I'm filling up my sketchbook. <laughs> so, when are we going to see the Gugu art exhibit? Are you shopping around to galleries? Where are you at? 
<laughs> I know that's the thing I, I mean I, I keep like joking that I'm gonna have you know this exhibition at the end of all this if there is ever an end uh, and call it you know the great unlocked exhibition or whatever but right. um, I still got a, a way to go I've got I've done about I've done about 14 paintings 14 portraits so I feel like wow. I, I feel like I need a few more um to to justify my own exhibition but who knows maybe I can just have an exhibition on Instagram we'll see <laughs> So let's talk about your show, Morning Show. Mm. Powerful. Um, just your work in it is just absolutely beautiful. It's, you know, oh, the slow you. burn to your character, um, to Hannah. Mm. So tell me, what, what did you think of Hannah when you first read the scripts? Well, it was interesting because when I first read this script for the morning show there were only two episodes written at that point or at least two that they were willing to share with me mm. so um you know and Hannah's in in the show but at, at that point but you know obviously there is no real hint as to where her her journey is going in the first mm. two episodes so um I had a call with uh, Mimi Leader and Kerry Aaron, the showrunner and our, our lead director. And they basically, you know, pitched me the whole of Hannah's arc over the phone, um, which mm. was amazing just to hear, obviously. Um, and just I felt like it was such an important story. And I, you know, kind of um, a challenging storyline, but a necessary one that's so um topical culturally and it just gave me chills really I think when I when I found out you know you know without spoiling it for people who haven't seen it but you know when I found out sort of you know the end of her journey I just thought it was it was such a powerful powerful story um and then I'd read you know in the couple of scripts that I had read I knew that the writing style was really smart I thought Kerry's writing was amazing and very on point and I thought it was done in a very witty way a lot of the characters are very mm. charming but they're also narcissists and and you know I right. just thought it was very it was just a very um sort of meaty look at all of the different perspectives of that world uh so yeah so it was a combination of you know and then of course the amazing cast that was already attached at that point <laughs> you know Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell and Reese Witherspoon I thought well not too shabby you know I'm sure they're going to be doing something that is um interesting and that people will watch <laughs> of course so 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 yeah so it's kind of a combination really of of the cast and then and then the writing and then obviously knowing what Hannah's journey was going to be let's talk about Hannah's journey I know you said no spoilers but I'm just gonna mm. say like at this point if someone's listening to this you could either turn it off or you yeah. should have been watching it already. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a tragic end. You know, yeah. um, we see her, we see her dead overdosed. Mm. Um, but what we don't know is if, was it a suicide or was it accidental? Mm. Do you know, do you have your own ideas on that? Yeah, we talked about it a lot um, initially. And I think, you know, obviously what brings Hannah to that point is is very, you know, interesting, you know, how she has sort of pushed down this experience, this, this sexual assault experience that she has with Steve Carell's character and how she has essentially not really dealt with that fully and the implications of that and the culture in the workplace that she's in and this almost this sort of deal with the devil that she has made 
with with you know accepting a promotion off the back of that and and really you know without judging her I think it was very interesting for me just and certainly in the writing that we see all of that that leads her to this point of seemingly this tough sort of career woman who actually has you know a lot of trauma beneath the surface so so for me I just um you know I I, I think I, the way that I sort of saw it, you know, she, she accepts this job in LA in mm. the final episode and you feel like that she, she, in her mind, she's trying to move on. She's, or at least she's trying to sort of put a bandaid over, you know, what, what's going on inside of her and what she hasn't dealt with. And so I felt like it was perhaps intention not intentional but somehow a binge kind of gone wrong it's always that question I mean it's such a delicate mm. area in terms of suicide in terms of what what we bring upon ourselves and what what is not dealt with um so I I don't feel like she intended to to die in the moment there mm. but I do feel that she intended to numb and I mm. think that that the, the, obviously the consequence of that and the consequence of not having um processed that traumatic experience led to mm. her death so I know that's I know that sounds like a sort of hedging my bets kind of answer but I don't I don't think she en intended to end her life I think that it was a, it was a binge that that went wrong mm. um yeah and when, when did you know that was going to be her fate on the show I knew that from the very beginning, from that first conversation wow. I had uh, with Carrie and Mimi, I knew that that was how it was going to end for her. And I suppose knowing that in a way, obviously it's tragic and it's dark, um, but it, I, I was drawn to the fact that the story I knew was going to pack an emotional punch because of that. And I also knew mm. that there would be a sense of completion for her. And I just thought or hoped that it would also generate conversations around the issues, um, not just mm. of suicide, but of sexual assault and uh, abuse of power in the workplace and, and really the impact that that has on on women you know in a way that right. you might not see and you know the, the, as I say goes on inside when when it's unprocessed so I yeah I I knew it was going to be heavy but I also thought that it was a really bold um and potentially healing way to look at that those issues you know um for the audience to see in a sort of you know, morality way for Hannah, at least right. what, what not to do, how not to, you know, um, how not to sort of bury your head in the sand if you've been through an experience like that. And, and obviously it's so much more complicated than that. And I think for Hannah, right. you know, she doesn't really see herself as being a victim and she, you know, um, thinks she's moved on and that she's in control. But, um, but yeah, I thought that um, I did know about that ending from the outset. Mm. How did you how did you prepare for the role? Did did you shadow people who are on morning shows? Did you talk to news producers, <laughs> bookers? Yeah, it's so funny because I had actually been on quite a few of these shows, you know, as an actor promoting <laughs> promoting things, you know, along the way. And so I already had um a, a good amount of sort of experience from from that side of it. Unfortunately, because of 
the constraints of time of when I accepted the job. And I was also just starting another job in the UK uh, called Misbehaviour, which is a totally different kettle mm-hmm. of fish about um, <laughs> Miss World competitions. So, so I didn't have the, the luxury of time to, to do a deep dive into shadowing um, in that way. But I, you know, I we had wonderful consultants on the show and, you know, knowing that it was based on the book, um, you know, top of the morning, the cutthroat world of morning TV. You know, I, I read that book. I talked a lot with Kerry and a lot of the writing team about the research that they'd done. And then, you know, really just just drew on the experiences that I'd had on on those shows. And I think, you know, just culturally, our awareness that we we have of those shows from one side of, right. of you know, um, the screen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was and, and really the writing was just so thorough. I mean, it really was, right. you know, a complete world that, that, that Kerry had built. And I just love the fact that, you know, you got to see all of these different perspectives, you know, not just from from the, the shiny sort of, um, you know, people in front of the camera, but, but everybody sort of the whole ecosystem, you know, behind the scenes. Right. So let me, so let me ask you, when you were starting off in the business, were you warned of, you know, the Mitches of Hollywood, you know, the, these, you know, these similar type of guys who are going to take advantage of young women? Uh, no, I mean, I, I can't say that I was warned in that way. I mean, I suppose, you know, there are, there's obviously um, the, the legends and many, many sort of tragic tales of, of, of mm-hmm. Hollywood that you can draw on. But I think because I was really starting in theatre, um, and by mm-hmm. the way, not to say that theatre is immune from from characters like Mitch or, or any any industries immune from abuse of power in that way. But, but I think, you know, certainly when I was starting out, people weren't really talking about it in the same way it didn't have you know theater didn't have the the same um the same type of hollywood glitz that mm, a, a, right. a legend you know when you think of of, of stars that you know um have had tra- tragic um or difficult circumstances um with with the mitches of this world so so no i wasn't really warned of it i suppose um like anything you live and you learn <laughs> right 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 let yeah. me ask you about the scene in hannah's apartment with reese how long did it take to shoot that i imagine you'd want to take a break at some point or do you just go through it to keep in that moment it's just it's heart-wrenching it's so hard you feel her pain so i could only imagine what was going on with you emotionally and physically Mm, oh well yeah I mean oof that really was um such an epic scene and I remember when I got that script and you know just I think it was like six or seven pages that scene you know which for a tv scene you know is is huge and probably one of the longest scenes that I've done certainly that sort of virtually a monologue I mean Reese's character is interviewing me and interjects but you know there's a lot of Hannah reliving that experience and you know where it goes in the writing in terms of how she sort of it sort of cracks something open in her emotionally that that she she didn't realize was there and um in terms of the day I mean yeah I you know I was daunted by that scene you know obviously just technically it was a lot of words but then emotionally a huge journey to go on and uh was actually my last day on the show or at mm. least in the in the LA 
portion of the shooting. We, we right. did a few days in New York, but um, but it was my last day. So in a way, I was kind of liberated to sort of give it all that I had in a sense because, you know, I knew I didn't have to come back at, you know, five the next morning and be doing a scene in the, I don't know, in, in back, behind the scenes of the show or any or anything else. So, mm. so I, I, and I knew, um, I knew that it was a really important scene, uh, you know, episode 10, obviously, like everything was building up to that, that sort of climactic point, certainly for Hannah's journey. Uh, and what was really wonderful, Mimi Leader, our director, you know, really let the camera roll and really you know we did mm. really long takes you know 10 15 minute takes of that you know taking wow. the time to really um to go there and i mean what was incredible is the crew i you know it's so funny obviously the crew are, are, are you know hollywood crews are so amazing and they're tough and they're you know so professional but you know there was a, such an incredible respect um mm. from the crew in, in terms of maintaining that that atmosphere and you know i got lots of hugs afterwards <laughs> and, and lots of, you know good good energy from people that really you felt like by that point you know it wasn't just the crew filming a scene it was like we were all you know their energy was totally conducive to to holding that emotional um journey so so yeah it was it was an epic day you know and then followed that scene actually was followed by a scene in which I am dead. So, right, <laughs> um, right, and I kind right. of literally, and, and metaphorically, I was like, well, if this scene doesn't kill me, I don't know what will, because, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, after that, after, you know, doing that for a, a couple of hours, you know, I then was, you know, put into my sort of hair and makeup and, and zipped up into a body bag, which kind of felt like, you know, a very morbid, uh, but, mm. um, you know, an epic epic day um so yeah and Reese was just incredible as well incredibly giving and supportive in in that scene and um you know just so encouraging so yeah so now I have to ask you because I know you want to tell me everything about Loki tell me everything (laughs) (laughs) everything everything oh my gosh I know it's so crazy I'm so sad that we had to pause filming for um yeah for this sort of quarantine hiatus because we were just sort of getting into the swing of it but um I can obviously tell you nothing about it uh, um, (laughs) other than uh that I'm part of it but um but no, I mean, yeah, really a, a great cast, and you know, I'm really excited for for the fans and and for for Tom, and um, I can't wait to get back to work. How much fun is it being part of that world? I mean, it's the Marvel world. Yeah, I know it's amazing. I mean, I think it's it's one of those things I think that's really interesting as well, especially with the advent of Disney Plus, and you know, the fact that mm-hmm. now this second stage of these these you know children that grew up with loki in thor you know are now 10 years older or they're or right. you know they're they're adults or, or whatever and i think that there is this room for um certainly a show like loki on, on a on a series platform to be able to go a little deeper and and maybe you know mature with that audience as well which is kind of exciting um so so yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's obviously it's an epic, an epic world, and um, not really <laughs> one that I have been a part of before. So I'm, you know, I'm really excited because it's such a different 
style to anything I've done. Right. Um, and obviously has such a huge following. So, um, you know, I'm all for stretching, stretching my muscles <laughs> in different directions. <laughs> what did you know about Loki beforehand? Were you a MCU kind of person or <laughs> you had to like sort of do a deep dive? Uh, it's funny. No, I can't confess to being a major MCU nerd. Um, I, um, obviously, you know, it's a big part of our culture. So I had a huge awareness of it. And, you know, it's funny because I actually went to drama school at the same time as Tom Hiddleston. And, you know, back when I was first, you know, 10 years ago, when I first came out here to do a TV pilot, um, undercovers, you know, he was shooting, um the the first Thor at the same time and you know we were friends from drama school and we you know hung out a bit and I remember him telling me about this experience of this new you know movie that he was doing and I was like oh yeah and how is it in LA and I'm coming to do a tv show and you know and so we did connect a few times you know over that and obviously having the shared experience of being at RADA at the same time we weren't in exactly right. the same year but um so I knew what he was going through through that and I I have seen the films now I had seen I'd seen the first door but, but I was still had to catch up on on you know mm-hmm. the more recent ones recently so so yeah I mean it's it's um it's, it's a huge world um, and um yeah, I think it's fascinating. I'm really excited also for our director, Kate, Kate Heron, who's amazing, and another Brit at the helm, uh, <laughs> um, who's directing all six episodes, and, and she's, she's incredible. Wow. Yeah, what's incredible about her? What, tell me about her directing style. Well, you know, she did a lot of that show, um, Sex Education, if you've seen that on Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, which oh, yes. is it's amazing. so fresh and interesting. And she's just, um, I don't know, I think even though, you know, and again, we've still got, you know, a ways to go on on, on the show, but I feel like even though you're dealing with um, this big universe, she still makes it feel very intimate, I think, you know, and she right. just brings it back down to character and moments and emotions. And, you know, it, I think, you know, it certainly could easily be overwhelming the scale of, of, of a production like that. And she, she definitely, you know, is, is great with actors, um, which, which I really appreciate. Have they given you any indication when you're going to start production again? Yeah. Or is it <laughs> unknown? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I've heard different things. I've heard different things. I think everybody's just waiting to see at the moment. You know, um, I initially heard you know, sometime in June, but I, I don't know how realistic that is at this point. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think everybody, obviously, I mean, seemingly some parts of Georgia are opening up again. Uh, right. And obviously we were filming in Atlanta. So I guess that's a big old experiment to see how that plays out. And if that will mean right. we go back sooner than other, other productions in other States, I don't know. <laughs> what, um, what, what do you, what do you need personally to to feel safe to go back to shooting? What have you thought about? What do you, what do, you know? What do you want to hear? What kind of guidelines do you want to mm. say? You know what? I'm okay. Yeah, shooting. I know it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's I you know I've heard all sorts of it gets so intimate shooting. I mean, somebody you know right. you go into somebody does your hair and makeup for an hour in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very very close uh, quarters. I mean, I. I feel like obviously everybody wants to feel confident, right? So I guess, you know, being, having access to, you know, 
having tests, obviously, having mm-hmm. access to know that everybody is healthy in the crew and everybody, um, you know, is, you know, keeping an awareness of um, their health and checking in and not just kind of pushing on through. It's really difficult because I think with a crew, you know, there's just so many people and with acting, Right. Obviously, you can't social distance in a scene, and right. you know, and uh, you just can't do that um, unless you rewrite the scene. Um, and it depends right. on the relationships of the characters, obviously. But I mean, um, so so I don't know. I think just culturally, the set something on the set is going to have to shift in terms of craft right. service and catering, and and you know, all of those shared areas. Um, mm. But. Um, but yeah, I mean, gosh, I don't know. It keeps evolving. I don't know if people are going to be like, you know, temperature checked at the gate of the of the right. um, studio or, uh, you know, wearing, the crew's going to be wearing masks and the actors only take their masks off when they say action. I mean, I have no idea right. how ridiculous crazy. it is. Yeah, it is crazy, especially when it comes to, you know, this world and different um you know hair makeup prosthetic you know possibilities and what that means to people so I don't know I try not to kind of you know obviously you want to be realistic and you want to be safe but I try not to sort of catastrophize too much I mean when you're dealing with something that is you know set in a different world and it it already feels like we're in a different world uh just going to the grocery store is a different world to what it was right um you know two months ago and it does start to feel more like we're living in science fiction in our real life um (laughs) so um i don't know i just um yeah i obviously i feel like everybody wants to get back to work and where there's a will there's a way that was gugu mbatha I'm going to take a short break, but when we return, I'll be chatting with Zoe's extraordinary playlist star, Jay Levy. I'll be right back. It's safe to say 2020 was one of the most difficult years ever for so many. And these remain very challenging times. That's why I'm here to ask you, how can I help? My name is Dr. Gail Saltz, host of the new weekly podcast, How Can I Help? with Dr. Gail Saltz. Brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, a psychoanalyst, best-selling author, and I'm here to help. Join me every Friday where you can ask your most pressing questions and get helpful guidance on topics ranging from coping with anxiety and mood, relationships, to family and parenting issues, to workplace dynamics, to dealing with COVID fatigue, and everything in between. While it has been a tough time, you don't have to navigate it alone. So, how can I help? You can send your questions anonymously to me at howcanihelp at senecawomen.com and I will answer with specific advice and understanding. Listen to How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Jane Levy is certainly one of this year's breakout television stars. In NBC's quirky musical comedy, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, she plays Zoe, the young woman who sees how people are feeling through song. As she juggles romance in her career, she must also watch her father's health slowly deteriorate due to a rare neurological disease. 
played by Peter Gallagher, Zoe's dad is based on series creator Austin Winsberg's father's real-life battle with the fatal disease. I spoke to Levy just a day before the series was picked up for a second season. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> Great show. So much fun. You know, this gay Jewish queen, Broadway queen from New York. I love it. It's just like everything I want in a TV show. Love that. So tell me, who comes to you? Does your agent come to you? Does your manager come to you? Present this project, which I want to know how they described it. Because I keep trying to describe it to people and I find it's hard. Yeah. Um, my agents called me last year in February. And I think they said it was during pilot season and I had just finished shooting this soap opera for Netflix called What If? And mm -hmm. I'm not sure that we were really planning on anything. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever planned <laughs> my career, to be honest. Um, and they were like, we have an offer on a TV show and we think you're gonna like it. It's a NBC comedy and it involves singing and dancing. Your character doesn't sing and dance in the pilot. Take in a the pilot. <laughs> and um, I read it and I thought it was cute. And I met with Austin Winsberg, our showrunner and creator extraordinaire and Richard Shepard who directed the pilot and the Tenenbaums who are our producers. And we had charcuterie and a lot of glasses of wine. <laughs> and Austin is a very generous, lovely person to hang around. And I found Richard to be really uh, interesting, clearly knew so much about filmmaking, love movies so much. And we had a really nice time. And I thought, okay, why not? It'd be really cool if this show got picked up and I got to stretch new muscles of singing and dancing and let's do it. And I just, <laughs> I also didn't really know that it would be what it became ultimately, which is it's a comedy and it's a musical, but at the same time we explore really heavy themes of saying goodbye and loss and grief. And we, you know, there's a vast spectrum of, tones that we hit on and that's been really fun to sort of discover and to develop as we go so how many scripts did you see because you look at the pilot obviously it's already dealing um with zoe's dad we know that but you know as the season goes on i mean by the time people watch this uh listen to this i hope you've seen the series you know your dad passes away in the last episode, did you know that's where it was all leading to? Or was that something that developed over time? Yeah. So I only read the pilot. Only the pilot had been written when we shot it. But this is Austin's story. He did not get a magical superpower from an MRI, but he did lose his father to this rare neurological condition called um, progressive supranuclear palsy mm. where it slowly disintegrates your brain basically. And mm. in the 
I think that this story was written as a fantasy for Austin. What if he could know what his father was thinking or going through in the last couple months of his life? And now looking back at the show, I see it as a story or an exercise in learning how to say goodbye to someone. And it was so personal for Austin that his heart really shines through in the writing and it made it easy for me to lean in with my heart. And it was a really powerful show to work on. I felt very affected by the material and thought a lot about grieving and how we grieve and how life is full of trauma, but also hilarity. And it was very cool to be able to explore some of these themes on a network television show because for a network, you know, there's a really big audience. So sometimes you have to be not general, but yeah. You can't really um, isolate audience members, but I felt like we um, were really able to tell like the full breadth of a story in in the way that I think storytelling deserves without having to distill it down for a mass audience. But as you say, it is on network television. Do you know, was there ever anyone saying, you know, if Zoe, this happened to her, maybe there's some way we could save her dad and not have him die. Because that is, that's, that's heavy. That's heavy for a comedy on network television. Yeah, I do believe most everybody asked Austin if he would consider reconsider having uh, Mitch die in the finale. Also because Peter Gallagher is so amazing and we'll miss him. <laughs> and also the audience loves him. But Austin stood firm and this is the story that he set out to tell. And, you know, I think we still have a lot of story to tell, which is that, like, how do we move on past grief? And what does our life mm -hmm. look like after we lose someone? And Zoe is such a fun character to play because she's very complicated, um, <laughs> woman full of a lot of neuroses. And being able to play her and play somebody with this magical ability. And I feel like she's just, we watch her struggle. And that's part of why we love her and watching her fail is what makes her so charming and funny. And I, I, I think she might be my favorite I've, I've been able to play so far. Oh, look at the, I can see it on the smile on your face. <laughs> so tell me about the first time you shot a musical sequence what was which one was it and what did it feel like again we go back to this isn't your typical show this is nothing like we've ever seen before and someone breaks out in song but you're what i what when i'm watching you is you're acknowledging that they're in song they are too there's still dialogue going on there but it can't be like I don't know if that's making any sense. Oh, I'm trust me, it's making sense. I have thought <laughs> hours and hours and hours about this and about how to craft it and about what the rules are and the superpower. And trust me, I've we've gone to very existential lengths to try to be as specific <laughs> as possible. So 
uh, at risk of sounding like pretentious, when I crafted this character, I <laughs> thought a lot about the superpower and I also thought about how every single one of these songs is from my character's point of view. And so I tried to craft that it's sort of like I'm like the projector, you know? And so something actually transformative happens to this character. And then she sort of like this, this thing happens through her and then projected out there is this dance number. And in that way, I feel like it created um, a real entry point for the audience because this was something we also talked about a lot with like the filmmaking, like how do we go from being inside of Zoe to Zoe's eyes? And if we're in Zoe's eyes, how do we, how do we go in and out of that in a way that's smooth? And there was trial and error. There's, there's, there's numbers where I think Austin and Mandy and I are like, huh, I don't know if I feel like we're really inside Zoe there. But um, yeah, we talked about this for a way, way too long. Anyways, <laughs> the first number we shot, I think was all I do is win. Mm-hmm. And there was a backflip in it. And I, I just remember at the beginning watching my co-stars and feeling so jealous. I was like, I know I get to be the lead of the show and I know that's something that actors want, but you guys get to sing and dance all the time and you're all so talented. Wow. <laughs> um, so to be able to participate and like do episode eight was really terrifying, but one of the best times I've ever had making something. Did you go into like crazy vocal coach singing lessons like around the clock? Not around the clock, but before we shot the rest of the season, I went once a week for a couple months. Um, I, you know, now that you say that, I'm like, maybe I should continue my vocal. Now <laughs> I have no excuse. I'm at home all the time. Uh, yeah, I, I studied with Eric Vitro, who's an incredible vocal coach. And... Yeah, it was really cool as an actor to express through song and dance. So that, so was was it a big moment on set when you broke out into song? It's like, it's almost, we're all waiting for it, we're waiting for it. I can imagine everyone on cast and crew waiting for it. And then all of a sudden you open your mouth. Yeah. Well, episode two starts off with a number that I sing and it's a, it's a dream sequence. And every single cast member was in that number, which was cool because we don't usually do very musical-esque numbers and that people look straight into the camera and, you know, everybody just like comes out of nowhere. And our show is obviously a fantastical reality, but the musical uh, structure works a little differently, I think, in our storytelling. But Uh, I've got the music in me is the song that I sang at the beginning of episode two. That was really fun. And I was so excited to finally like get to play ball. But then, you know, we shot the rest of the the episode three, four, five, six, seven. I don't sing and dance. And then episode eight, I performed six musical numbers and some of them are very choreography <laughs> heavy. Some some of them have 200 extras in the background. Uh, it was it was a blast. I mean, it's I mean, 200 extras. Yeah, I don't understand how Mandy Moore does what, uh, how she pulls it off. 
You're like the Game of Thrones of musicals. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, I remember, so Crazy starts episode eight, and we took three, do- three days off of production so that I could learn these na- dance numbers, but that's still not really that much. Three days, that's it? Yeah, it's really not that much for six numbers. And also, I have to record all the music, pre-record all of it, too. So there was days where, like, in episode seven, right before we'd shoot eight, where I'd get off of set and they'd be like, okay, Jane has one hour before her turnaround gets screwed up. Drive her a half hour to the college where we're going to shoot crazy. I like, I'm in my pajamas. I get 10 minutes of rehearsal with the 200 extras before the night before we actually shoot it. So I'm in the space one time before we do it. Like it was crazy, but we, we pulled it off. That's insane. Three days they gave it. Yeah. So when you get season two, does the contract change? And does it say, okay, you want me to do six numbers? I want more than three days. I see. Are you listening? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What songs haven't been, I mean, there's been so many songs. What songs, I mean, we know season two isn't official yet, but what songs would you love to you perform or see on the show perform? There must be a list. I'm imagining a running list somewhere. Yeah, there absolutely is. Poor Austin gets phone calls from everybody's mother being like, hey, <laughs> what about this for so-and-so? Um, I would love to hear some country music. If there's any yes. genre that's about like a, a yearning heart, it's country. I know Bonnie Raitt's not country, but she sort of is. Like, I would love yeah. for somebody to sing Bonnie Raitt. She's one of my favorite musical artists of all time. Uh, Linda Ronstadt. She's also kind of country adjacent, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, does this inspire you to want to do a Broadway musical? I definitely am interested in being on stage. I am terrified of it. I've never been on stage before. Skylar Aston, my co-star, is constantly saying, okay, you got to do it. You got to do it. He's like, it's the, it's the best. And he's like, you got it. You can do it. I promise. So yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I hope that Broadway comes back. It will. It will. It will. It's going to take some time, but it will. Um, so have you guys talked about season two, what you want to see happen? Or do you not talk about it until everything's official? We have, I've talked a lot with Austin about season two and it's like what I mentioned before. I think that the overarching storyline will be how does one move on after we say goodbye? How does Zoe move on? Maggie. And, you know, there is talks about maybe finding creative ways to bring Peter back because Mm. we all adore him (laughs) and you know a lot of love triangle business in season two that so are you team max or team simon you know (laughs) i'm team third party i keep saying can we bring in someone else for a second just so that zoe doesn't have to like there's this, all this idea that she's got to choose somebody. It's like, the, right. she's a young woman. She can do whatever she wants. She can screw both of them if she wants to. Um, <laughs> she, 
I think short game, I'm team Simon because I think that there's like va va boom, sexy chemistry there. But I think long game, obviously, Max is like the husband material. So you have fun with Simon, and then when you're ready to settle down, there's Max. Yeah. Well, Jane, this was amazing. This was so much fun. Thank you for doing this. It's a pleasure. That was Jane Levy, star of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. That's it for today's episode of The Big Ticket. Coming up next Tuesday, a very special guest, Ms. Miley Cyrus, the child star turned superstar, opens up about her family, being in therapy, and her return to acting in Black Mirror. I'll have Cyrus and a whole lot more on next week's episodes of The Big Ticket. For now, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all the latest Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Be well and stay safe, and I'll see you next time. 